1: Hello and welcome to Albin Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, freshly back from Dublin, Pete George. Uh, Pete, hope you had a wonderful time on your break.
0: Yeah, it was brilliant, thank you, even with the uh, the cost of the pints over there.
1: Mate, honestly, uh, we were just chatting about this off-air and, uh, and anybody listening who's been to Dublin knows th- knows this. I mean, it is, it's ludicrously expensive to get drunk over there, isn't it? It really is crazy.
0: Yeah, but... On the other hand, the Guinnesses are very nice over there, so you know, it, swings and it, roundabouts. It's better,
1: isn't it? I they, they they claim. I think they claim it's the water over there. Um, but they, it's definitely better, isn't it? Yeah,
0: definitely creamy. Definitely creamy ahead, and well, yeah, I yeah, uh, yeah, I tasted a few whilst I was there.
1: I was going to say this is a man speaking from experience, and I respect that. So, uh, and speaking of experience, we have been experiencing Manscaped's wonderful products that they very kindly sent us because they do support our podcast. So, we massively encourage you to support Manscaped as well because they're fantastic. They um, they are the um, premium uh, uh, men's below the waist grooming uh, company, and we. Strongly encourage you to get involved in their products, and you can do so for a reduced price as well. Because if you use the code up the baggies, that's all uppercase, one word up the baggies. You get 20% off at manscaped.com and free worldwide shipping. So that promo code, again, up the baggies. Please use it. Please get involved in their fantastic products. And we're delighted to have them on board uh, supporting our podcast. It's brilliant to have them involved. Um, And Pete, whilst we're uh, celebrating things, can I also uh, say to you, Yet another happy anniversary. I said it to you the last pod you're on, but this time we're recording at uh, 2 pm on the 12th of February, which means happy 11th anniversary for Wolverhampton Wanderers 1, West Bromwich Albion 5.
0: Ah, I was wondering where you're going with that, but yeah, what a, what a game that was. Yeah, brilliant memory, and Peter Arnold and Wingy banging in three at the Molyneux. Um
1: I always maintained though that, that my favourite goal of the lot was Keith Andrews because they booed him all game and for Keith to smash one in was just it was so sweet.
0: Was that when James Morrison celebrated in front of with a fist pump in
1: yeah, yeah, because he'd ran off the pitch and he did obviously didn't come back on because he didn't want to be. He'd, he'd managed to cut the ball back from the byline. So he stepped off the pitch so that he wasn't offside. And, um, uh, when, when uh, Keith hit the shot and yeah, as you say, celebrated right in front of the Wolves fans, which is brilliant.
0: <laughs> yeah, quality game. That was, yeah, brilliant.
1: Fantastic memories. And let's hope that the Baggies can make some more very, very soon. But unfortunately, after discussing briefly their. A fantastic Derby day. What we have to discuss today is a pretty dismal Derby day, Pete. Because on Friday night it was Birmingham City uh, to West Bromwich Albion nil, and I'm going to throw it out there, Pete. I I think that is up there as our worst display of the season. There's a couple of competitors that we just chatted about uh, off air. Bristol City at home under Beal, I thought was pretty awful. I thought Preston away right at the end of the Bruce reign was pretty dreadful. But generally speaking, there's not many games where even when we've been bad, and generally under Bruce, we were bad defensively rather than anything else. But we've generally posed a threat in most games. I haven't seen an as I say. I think the only games I can think of where we were where we've been so utterly toothless this season going forward are Preston away and Bristol City at home. To be honest, Pete.
0: Yeah, Sheffield United at home was pretty poor as well, but that was right at the start of Corbrand's reign, wasn't it? Um...
1: Yeah, and I almost I almost dismissed that one largely because Corbrand treated it like a pre-season friendly, changing formation about five times. He was just trying things, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, and playing against one of the best teams in the league as well, It's yeah, it was. I it definitely wasn't unexpected, so you can kind of write that one off. But yeah, against Blues, it was poor. Um, I thought they were excellent, to be fair to them. Really nullified us, and especially in the first half, really got in our faces and pressed us high. Made the most of some of our weaknesses. Yeah, they didn't threaten loads, but they threatened in parts and were dangerous from set pieces. So yeah, I think we were... We were poor. We didn't move the ball about quick enough, it seemed, and couldn't keep the ball in their, their half and really struggled to build out at times. Yeah. So I think it was a mixture of poor performance from Albion and a very good performance from Blues
1: yeah and sometimes you do have to credit the opposition, obviously, the focus of this podcast is always going to be on on uh, when when we lose games it 's going to be on what Albion did badly rather than what the opposition did well because we're more interested in the baggies than the blues but there's no denying that but what Birmingham did they went about their business extremely well they were they were highly aggressive, particularly in in the midfield. They their shape was incredible. They gave us no space whatsoever. They were just they were just really really stubborn and difficult to 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 play against. Then, as we will come on to we give them two goals and I do mean give them two goals. Um and, and that, that hands the game to them really on a silver platter, but you know, you've got to credit what they actually did in terms of work rate and, and in terms of shape and organization and aggression, I thought it was tremendous. But Pete, is there a bit of a problem here? Because we had a similar conversation after Coventry away where they were very aggressive in the middle of the park. They gave our center mids, absolutely no time on the ball. And, it was very similar against uh, against Birmingham. You look at the data, and our most dispossessed players were Malumbi and Yukoslu. Now, not a lot of teams press us that high up the field. Most most teams generally treat us with a great deal of respect and tend to uh, tend to sit off um, and allow Malumbi and Yukoslu to have quite a lot of the ball and take the ball off the back four. And the the press seems to come when the ball goes into players like. Garner, Wallace, Swift—if he's playing or Brighton in this case, whoever that might be—in those in those more attacking positions, that's when they tend to try and engage us a little bit more. But in, Blues engaged us really far uh, high up the pitch and didn't allow any of the back four or the two centre defensive central midfielders any time on the ball. I also noticed that um, neither of uh, neither of the defensive centre mids or the fullbacks. Had over an 80% pass completion rate, which is again, is very unusual for us. Um, they generally have pretty good passing numbers. Those players, it's reflective of what Birmingham did, but it also took me back a little bit to Coventry and the way they nullified that threat by b- being so high up the pitch against us and, and, uh, and not allowing Yukoslu and Mullenby any time on the ball. Is that something that we struggle with when teams do that to those two players?
0: Yeah, Birmingham had one of the most aggressive presses against us we've seen all season. And yeah, I think we spoke about before that both Jokujlu and Mulumbi struggle as ball players in the middle of the park, really. Their best attributes are in other areas. Um, neither are particularly comfortable playing for passes when they're under pressure and receiving passes when they're under a lot of pressure. And Birmingham seemed to make the most of that. They kind of allowed the ball to go into them. But as soon as it did, they got men around them. And... What you usually like to do when he's got a man around him is try and turn, and he tried that a couple of times, and they'd have another man there to nick it off him, and then they could play forward and and break whilst we were a bit unsettled. So, yeah, I think the way that they set up to kind of pounce on balls going into our central midfielders was very effective. And like we said, we've both said they they press very high. Um, in the first twenty minutes, if you look at the statistics, then that's the highest that a team's pressed against us, and um under Corbran this season might be for the whole season as well actually but certainly under Corbran that's the most aggressive press we've faced in those first 20 minutes and then for the rest of the game they after the first goal and especially after the second goal they kind of dropped off a bit and dropped into a low block and just kind of shut the game out a bit but yeah we we really struggled under pressure um but the one thing that they didn't press was I've mentioned to you is Dara O'Shea quite often he kind of holds on to the ball in build-up and waits for a an opposition player to start to press him and then then plays his pass. Um, you see him quite often just kind of stand with the ball, foot on the ball, doing nothing and waits for that pressure because that leaves spaces behind the man that's pressing him and then we can exploit them. It seemed to be that they allowed Urshay to have the ball without pressure on him and just kept their shape and kept with their man and waited for him to play the pass rather than the other way around, which was potentially one of the reasons why we struggled To build up.
1: Yeah, because we had a heck of a lot of the ball, didn't we, Pete? But we just just couldn't do anything with it. I mean, to the point where our one and only shot on target in the entire game comes in the 63rd minute from a substitute in John Swift.
0: Yeah, and we we may have had a lot of the ball, but we didn't seem to really struggle to keep the ball in their half in the final third, Um, especially in the first half when they weren't in the second half. It was slightly different, especially towards the end of the second half, because they were dropping off a bit. But in the first half, it seemed to be Whenever we did get the ball into the, into the final third, it kind of just went straight back and we couldn't actually threaten. We just, if we did get into that area, we, we turned around and the only option was to play it back and reset. And it seemed like Birmingham wanted to make the, the pitch as tight as possible when they were defending. And for most of the time, they kind of had almost all their players on the side. So if it was on the left wing, they'd have all their players shifted across and have it all on that half of the pitch. But then we seemed to, to just take too long to, to switch the ball and use the space that was on the other side of the pitch. Um, I don't know if that was intentional to not do it too quickly because if you just play a long ball and it gets intercepted, then, you know, your, your rest defense isn't in a good way and you're potentially susceptible to a, a counter attack. Whereas if you do it with a couple more passes, players are in better positions to defend if the ball does get turned over. But either way, it did seem like we were a bit slow to, to switch the play and ex- exploit the space.
1: Was it perhaps a game in hindsight, and it's all very easy analysing these games in, in hindsight, of course, Carlos Corbran who picks the team doesn't get the benefit of hindsight. But when you talk about how how um, how difficult we found it to find space in the midfield with those defensive midfielders, was it perhaps a game more for chalaba on this uh, on this occasion, given that he is he is technically better, he is a bit of a ball carrier, and that he might have had more joy finding space. I've been quite impressed with him in in the fleeting moments that we've seen him. I thought he was good against Coventry when he when he came on. Obviously, highlighted was that crunching challenge where where he then got up and screamed at D Ghana. Um but also. I just thought he was quite good when he came on against Blues. It's, as you say, game state comes into it because they had retreated at that point and it was a low block and it was a different kind of game to Malumbi and Yukoslu encountered. But I, I, I don't know. I just wonder whether, whether it was horses for courses a little bit. And obviously... Corbrand's gone back to the well with the same 11 players that he played against against Coventry. I do understand why we were good against Coventry. We deserve to win that game by more than the single goal that we won it by. But I do think there's an element where... Birmingham were a very different challenge uh, because Coventry. Although I've compared the Coventry away game to the Birmingham away game, Coventry without Callum O'Hare is a different prospect to Coventry with him, which is obviously what they had in the away game. And I, I just wonder whether Chalaba was better suited in, in in hindsight, and not not least because I'm I can't imagine that uh, your y- y- has had the easiest week. With what's going on in his home country, I'm sure he wanted to play because he seems like a fierce competitor and a guy who who just loves to pull on that shirt. But nonetheless, if 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 if, if all the, if all that if I was somebody over in another country and seeing twenty thousand people dying back home, I think I'd struggle to. I'm not saying he did struggle to focus on football, but I'm just saying if it was me, I think I'd probably struggle a little bit to to focus on on, on my job.
0: Yeah, there's definitely that side of it as well. But from what I've seen and what you hear, Corbrand seems to have a good relationship and connection with his players. He seems to be a manager that's kind of involved with them, um, close with them, rather than just a bit distant and a bit more of just a figurehead. So I'm sure he would have understood the situation and, and spoke to Yacuzhlo about it and kind of understood where how he was feeling and whether he was in a good state to play. Yeah, I think, obviously, corbrand's the best pl- person to to make that decision because he's he's there he sees it he speaks to you occasionally regularly so um but in terms of whether Chalibur should have started in hindsight um yeah I think don't really have an answer to be honest I think maybe I think as well he's similar just to in terms of, of his
1: attributes P I'm just I'm just saying you know give I mean we obviously didn't know definitely how Blues were going to play but given given the way they denied a space in the middle of the park are his attributes better suited to. Generating that space because he is more technical than the other two.
0: Yeah, but he's, I mean, going by, by his day, he's still not the best, um, passer of the ball in terms of progressiveness. Um, he's probably a slightly better ball carrier than the other two, so maybe that would have helped. And the technical ability, them may have been, um, more suited to receiving the ball under pressure and getting out of those tight spaces and maybe just experience as well to not turn into, into tight spaces and maybe just to play the ball back. But again, I think it, you got to, whether he's match fit or not, I don't think he's played many minutes at Fulham this season. He's obviously only, only had a substitute appearance for us, so whether he's fit enough to start the full 90, uh, to start the game and play maybe 60 minutes or something, I assume he'd be taken off if he wasn't fit. But yeah, that's the other question there. Um And just integrating him into the squad as well and getting him familiar with um the tactics and what Corbran wants him to do, I think you've got to consider all those factors um, by making the decision because obviously Yakuza and Mulumbi both played a lot of minutes recently must be very fit and have been there with Corran since the start so they're I'm sure they're very aware of what he's asking them to do and what he's asking everyone else to do and where they slot into the plan so yeah I think it's yeah I think to be fair the two midfielders that started were probably better suited for it just because of those factors Um, but then we might see Chalabas starting a few more games in the future once he's got that fitness up and and Scott the complete understanding of what Corbran wants him to do.
1: Corbrand's post-match comments were interesting. Um, I mean, I, I first of all, I, I do take them with a pinch of salt because I believe he genuinely is the kind of manager you've just talked about his relationship with his players there. And I think after a bad performance, he is the kind of manager who probably ties, tries to take the heat off his players a little bit and, and take responsibility for, for defeats rather than, um, hanging them out to, to, to dry, um, a la, a, a one particular manager who's lost his job today in Nathan Jones would probably do. Um, but I, I, th- I think, uh, I thought his comments were interesting. That he basically said he got he got it wrong, Um he he sort of indicated towards he, he got it wrong tactically. Maybe he got it wrong in a personnel sense. And Pete, I just want to. There's no possible way we we deal a lot in stack stats, facts, data, indisputable things on this podcast. Granted we interpret them in our own ways, but, but the, the, the base data is indisputable. I'm I want to just deal in something that is complete conjecture here for a moment, that whether the events of the week affected Corbrand's preparation for this particular game, because I do feel like it was a battle of two tacticians and John Eustace won. The battle, and that's very unusual for, uh, to see Carlos Corbran bested in terms of tactical intelligence in a game. And look, we're all absolutely over the moon that Carlos is staying, that he signed a, a lengthy contract. I realize contracts are. Not necessarily worth the paper they're written on a lot of the time these days. But the reality is you would expect he will stay till at least the end of the season. I don't think anybody thinks he will see out the four years because managers rarely do. Either they perform well and they leave for another club or they perform badly and they're fired. But the reality with Carlos is at least if and when he does leave, the contract gives us a bit more protection. It hopefully gets us a bit more compensation. And it hopefully makes us believe that he will be our manager for the rest of the season, because of course Southampton are now looking for a manager. I can't, you know, a touch wood while I'm saying this, but I I, I can't imagine he will go there. If he's turned Leeds down, I don't see why he'd go there. But he, from what we understand from reading the Daily Telegraph and uh, and, and other publications like that, that he did come quite close to going, that there was an 18-month contract on the table and he said no and he decided to stay. But the mere fact that it got to the point of talking lengths of time and things like that. Means that Carlos must have, or Carlos's representatives must have been engaged in some sort of dialogue with Leeds United over the past seven days. Well, I, I think, I think to be fair, going it, it was Monday, wasn't it? That uh, so the the few days, I think it was Wednesday, maybe that he signed the contract. So two or three days, but nonetheless, I just wonder. Anybody, anybody, anybody in that situation not knowing whether they're coming or going, it it must detract even a small percentage from your focus on your day job. I like to think now that it's all been resolved, Carlos can go back to being a 100%. Maybe he was a hundred percent last week and it's just one of those things that happens and that John Eustace just got the better of him on the night. And it, and it happens because Carlos is not the greatest coach in the history of the world. Because if he was, he wouldn't be manager of West Bromwich Albion. I think at 39 years old, he has the, he has an unbelievably high ceiling and can probably be just about anything he wants to be in the game, but at the moment he is going to make mistakes. He is still a young coach and that will happen. So maybe that is what happened, but I can't help purporting Pete that maybe just maybe the the events of the week took his eye off the ball ever so slightly. And that caused what he spoke about in the post-match: is him getting it tactically wrong. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think it's difficult to say, of course, having a premier league club approach you or your agent or whoever they would have spoken to, um, could potentially be distracting for him. I'm sure Leeds would have been offering a fair amount more money than he would be on here and it would have probably been an interesting offer for him Um and all that swirling around and having to make a decision on whether he's going or or staying and signing a new deal. Yeah, it could definitely distract a manager Um cause the preparation for the weekend to not be as good as it would be on a, on a regular week.
1: Because these levels are so high, aren't they? I mean, he's utterly meticulous. So even, you know, where, where most managers, the preparation would probably be quite standard week in, week out. With, with Corbran, it's so in depth that any, any distraction just takes away from that, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it definitely seems to, to go into the, the very finest of details and, and work extremely hard during the week to, to work on what we're going to do at the weekend and how everyone's going to play. And, and obviously the coaching sessions that go in during the week to, to build up for that performance on the weekend so um yeah distraction could definitely play a part in there and as you say the other thing could just be that he could just be admitting that maybe he got it tactically wrong and the preparation was still there as good as it usually would be and he's just lost the lost the tactical battle to Eustace and and that could be what who who is
1: a very very good coach himself and a very good young coach who is another one who has an insanely high ceiling for me
0: yeah exactly so it may just be one of those that he's lost out and and it's more a case of Birmingham were set up very well and, and did their jobs excellently. Whereas, well, yeah, I think we may have just lost it there. Um Saying that, I did think some of the performances of the Albin players individually were not at the highest levels. So I think it's probably just a culmination of, of Birmingham being very good, Albin individually probably not being as good as they have been in recent weeks. And maybe Corbran just getting it slightly wrong, whether that's from distraction or just um, maybe a misunderstanding of what we were going to get from Birmingham.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, look, we, we can we can question whether Corbran got it tactically right or tactically wrong. One thing I'm fairly sure of, Pete, is that, um, and I think we, we, we've danced around it long enough, let's get to it, let's talk about the main talking point. I don't think he asked um, uh, David Button to be in a different postcode to his near post for the first goal, did he?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think many of both both said off air that we don't want to just spend the whole podcast just berating David Button, but you've got to talk about it. And, and he had a, a poor game, um, another poor game. That first goal was just, yeah, he's been caught out there.
1: The the Coventry game though, Pete, I remember being in the stands and saying to my dad, because Hamer was over that free kick, the one the one shot on target that the Button saved in that Coventry game. And I was saying to my dad, he's left so much space, like wall side. Of the uh, of the of the goal, he did the same thing against Coventry, and I was really worried that somebody with the ability of Hamer was going to whip it near post, and Button wouldn't have had a wouldn't have had a chance of getting there. I actually do think he had a chance of getting to Hannibal's, but I think the same old problem rears its head with David Button, which is he doesn't move his feet fast enough.
0: Yeah, I mean the strange thing as well is that he was kind of positioned to be ready to come for the to claim the cross if it was crossed in. You know, they've got Yukovich Juk- and. Um, Trusty and the other centre backs up there, obviously an aerial threat from set pieces. So he was kind of positioned to come and claim that cross if it was whipped into the back post, um, which they had done already a couple of times. They whipped balls just from open play into that back post. I think Furlong had dealt with it quite well early doors. Um, but yeah, the, the strange bit is that Button isn't isn't confident coming for crosses, or he doesn't like coming for crosses. Um, if you look at the data for it, he's got one of the of all the goalkeepers in the championship this season to have played at least 10 games. He's got the lowest number of what's called exits per 90, which is just goalkeepers coming for high balls from either a punch or a catch. He's got the lowest number per 90. So it's very clear that he either doesn't like, well, yeah, he doesn't like coming for crosses, probably because he's not particularly good at it, so to set himself,
1: and he's, but he's not particularly good at shot stopping either, Pete. And it's it, 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 it's a real work. look. We're going to come on to the context around David Button in just a second because I, I do want to kind of offer a little bit of defense to him because I don't want this to turn into a berating of David Button and I don't think it should. But I don't understand what he's good at,
0: no. But yeah, like I say, the fact that he doesn't come across very often, it just makes me wonder why he was positioned in such a way to. Be able to come for the cross rather than protecting the goal, but then I'm no goalkeeping expert, so
1: no. But then we saw in the second half why he doesn't normally come for crosses.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's something that he struggles with um, in his defence. Is the one thing that he has done well this season. from the data is his passing. Um, he's got a bit pass accuracy uh, than Alex Palmer has. Better long pass accuracy than Alex Palmer. Um, so with the ball at his feet, he's. He's probably better than Palmer, um, in terms of claim claiming crosses, his high balls, um, and shot stopping. He's yeah, he's been doing near what Palmer has done this season. So yeah, I think yeah, as you say, it's a seems to be a big drop off from Alex Palmer. Um, so hopefully he's not out for too long.
1: No, but it but we do know he's gonna be out for a period of time, Pete, and our next three games, not in this order, but they are against um third, sixth and I believe uh, I, I believe Blackburn are now uh, eighth. I think I'm right in saying, um, yeah, they are. They're they're one place above us. So our next th- three games are third, sixth, and eighth: Borough, Watford, and Blackburn. And for me, that's season defining because I think, God forbid, we should take zero points from those three games. Not only do we have take zero points from three games, we offer up nine points to uh, to the teams around us as well, and. For me, unfortunately, David Button costs you games. He cost us games earlier in the season. We talked about this a lot. Whether, whether you think he's directly at fault or not for certain goals, the reality of the situation is we, we, we go from on the one hand having What is well in terms of save percentage, the best in the division, Alex Palmer with nearly seventy-eight percent save possession save percentage to David Button, who's at fifty-one and a half percent. You cannot be letting in one in two shots. You just can't. So the the fact of the matter is whether whether you look at each individual goal and you blame David Button is irrelevant when you've got a sample size the size that we now do have on uh, on button which is w- w- which is 12 games i believe in total in the league and he's letting in he's letting in one in two shots it it just simply plain and simply cannot happen and look here's the here's the slight defence if there is a defence of david button he isn't doing this on purpose so there's no need to berate him because berating him doesn't isn't going to make him suddenly improve his performances it's he's not he's not a lazy player he's not a player who's not running hard enough he's not he's not somebody that you can scream at from the stands and up his work ethic by 10% and that makes a huge difference on his performance He is a guy who is completely and utterly devoid of any confidence in his own ability at the moment. I'm sorry. That is purely evident. And it's evident in the fact that, you know, the play, the way the players got round him after he caught that cross against Coventry, that they know how much he's struggling. You can see on the pitch that his teammates know where he is mentally at the moment. Look, we've all been there. We've all been there where whatever it might be, there is some, there is something. We have all done where it has just gone wrong one too many times and we lose our belief in our own ability to do that thing, whatever it might be. But just, you know, just in this moment, just take a moment to relate that to your own life. That we've all, because we have all been there. There is nobody listening to this podcast who's so unbelievably self confident that they have ever, that they've, they cannot relate to that moment. So let's just remind ourselves that David Button is not doing this on purpose and that berating him, booing him, creating a poisonous atmosphere around him, abusing the team sheet on social media. You know, just saying nasty things about him on social media. And look, I've said some things this, uh, this week and I said a few things in anger after the game and, uh, and I ain't perfect and I'm not necessarily proud of myself. Some of the things I, I do say about David Button and I need to take a step back from time to time and remind myself that he's not doing this on purpose. He's just a guy who's lost any confidence in his ability to do his job. So let's remind ourselves that berating him isn't going to help, but also. Let's remind ourselves of the three games we've got coming up. We cannot afford to lose them. Ideally, we can't afford to lose any of them. And I think there's a very good chance we will if David Button's in goal. So I'm not getting on his back. I'm not trying to abuse him. And if and if Corbram picks him, I'll support him. But I think the best thing for this team right now is that he comes out of the team. I think the best thing for him is that he comes out of the team because I don't I don't think I don't see a guy who believes in his ability to do his job. And I just I just think it it's verging on self sabotage to keep him in the team at this point, Pete. And I, I think I'm I'm not sitting here saying Josh Griffiths is the answer to all of our problems. You've got the data on him and you'll run us through it in just a moment. And I I certainly don't think Josh Griffiths can necessarily perform to the level that Alex Palmer did earlier in the season because in an awful lot of metrics, Alex Palmer is the best goalkeeper in the division this season. Certain ones he gets beaten out of of sight on. Obviously, Murich is the best best with, with the ball at his feet. But in terms of shot stopping, coming for crosses, Palmer is one of the best in the league. And I'm not sitting here and saying that Griffiths can get up to those levels I'm saying that Griffith's can get above the levels David Button can get to at the moment and it's not through lack of effort on Button's part. I just think I just think what we are seeing is a guy who whose confidence is utterly utterly smashed to pieces and I there is no easy solution to that. There is no quick fix. There is nothing that you can just do in in a few days of training to pick that guy off the floor. I think the only thing you can do is take him out of the team.
0: Yeah, it's the difficulty that the poor, poor performances seem to be just shattering any confidence that he had left. And that's leading to poor performances on top of that. And it's just, yeah, it's just a vicious cycle. Um, so it's probably the time to give Griffiths a chance in the first team. Um, he's not at the, the best of half seasons for Portsmouth. If you look at his, a good, would one to start off with his shot stopping for goalkeepers obviously so if you look at his uh, prevented goals per 90 which is you know an average goalkeeper would have a zero presented goals per 90 it's based on the uh, quality of shots that they're facing so griffiths is below average um he's at minus 0.19 so you can almost put a fifth of a goal per game at blame of griffiths shot stopping if you compare that to david button button is um about minus 0.4, so that's about you yeah, know it's close on half a goal a game is being let in because of Griff uh, Buttons poor shot stopping. So in terms of that, he's better than Button, but he's he's still he still had a poor season in terms of his shot stopping last season. He's in the positive, so he's performing better than the average goalkeeper in shot stopping. Um So it's not like he's consistently doing that throughout his career. So I just mean, to you put want...
1: that in, uh, just because sometimes, you know, we have to lay person these up, for me more than anything, Pete, just to, just so that I understand that, effectively what we're saying is David Button, once every two games, makes a mistake that leads to a goal. What we're saying is uh, Josh Griffiths, once every five games, he does that.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, probably a good way to, to put it. Yeah, you know, it's not based directly off specific mistakes, it's shots... The, the saves that he makes how easy are those saves the goals that he lets in how easy are they to let in etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, and if you want to look at Alex Palmer he's at the other end of the spectrum he's got a prevented goals per 90 of 0.16 um, so what that's about you know he's preventing an extra goal than he probably should once every what about 7-8 games so yeah he's he's been one of the best goalkeepers in the league for his shot stopping um, and the difficulty of the shots that, shots that he stops and lets in Yeah, and the other one that we mentioned earlier is exits per 90, so how many times a goalkeeper comes to claim a high ball, whether that's a punch or a catch. Similarly, Griffiths is below average, but um, performing better than Button. Um, And again, similar pattern here. He's below average, better than Button, but nowhere near what Palmer's been doing. Palmer, again, been one of the best I think he's been the third highest in the championship of goalkeepers that have played at least 10 games for his e- exits per 90. So he likes to come and command his box. Any high balls in there, he likes to come and get them. Um, and that, you imagine, breeds confidence in your centre-backs as well to know that you've got a goalkeeper behind you that's going to gonna help clear up some of the, the crosses into the box.
1: Is it important to emphasise that point, Pete? Because as you're going through that data, I'm hearing, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing a consistent theme here that... If Josh Griffiths does come into the side, we cannot expect him to be at the standard Alex Palmer has been at this season because Alex Palmer has outperformed anything we would have expected. He is he is basically one of the best goalkeepers in this division based on the season he's had.
0: Yeah, Palmer's been absolutely superb. I mean, the interesting thing with Palmer is that his numbers are absolutely superb and obviously his performances have been, but he seems to have a little half mistaken every other game. Um just like a little silly thing that almost happens but we don't actually get punished from. But yeah, on the whole he's been superb and definitely one of the been one of the best keepers in the division. Um I think just going back to the, the numbers on Griffiths, he's the one thing that he does seem to be very, very good at is with the ball at his feet. He's got one of the best pass accuracies in the whole of the EFL for goalkeepers. Um at eighty but not only that, he's got the, what looks like is the best, um, long pass accuracy in the EFL. So it's not just that he's playing tons of passes to center backs that are two yards away from him. And, you know, it's almost impossible not to complete them. But when he goes long, he's, he's also very, very good at it. I don't know. I don't really know what the, the pumpy side looks like, but you know, they might have a massive target man that he can hit every time, but to have his short passes and his long passes to be so high is, Yeah, very impressive. Um, So if Coburn wants to build from the back and use the goalkeeper and build up, then Griffiths seems like he's going to be, yeah, a good goalkeeper to have for that at least. And
1: it's important to say as well, Pete, that it's very easy to think of Josh Griffiths as this hugely unexperienced goalkeeper, but he's really not. If he does start against Blackburn on Wednesday, that will be his 100th EFL appearance. Obviously it will be his first for, first for us. And that just goes to show you everything that's crazy about modern football that we could, uh, that we can have a young goalkeeper in our ranks. He makes a hundred appearances and only the hundredth one is, is for his actual parent club. But that's just modern football, uh, modern football for you and how young players, unless they're down the leagues, rarely get a chance to prove themselves early on in their career at their parent clubs. But. Alex Palmer's actually only played one hundred and two EFL games, so uh, Griffiths is 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 only three EFL games behind Alex Palmer. And okay, Alex Palmer's played a lot in the Championship this season, but I think I, th- I think the only Championship game Alex Palmer had uh, had played prior to this season was on loan last season. So actually, Griffiths has got a similar kind of experience. In fact, a little bit more than Palmer had when he came into the team.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the important bit to mention there is that he's actually if he does come in for the next game then he's he'll have come in with more um professional experience in terms of number of games played than Alex Palmer did when he when he came into the starting eleven for Albion. So yes he's young, um, but he's got a lot of experience behind him and again has played to a similar level that Palmer had um previously, um in League One and and before that in League Two, I think. This season was the second season that Griffiths has spent in in League One. I think it's only the second. He definitely had one with my mind's gone blank now. Cheltenham, I think. So yeah, he's for a young goalkeeper. He's very experienced for a young goalkeeper, and obviously he's he's been in the England ranks as well for various age groups. So
1: well, that's and he's in the under twenty one squad, which is which is no mean feat at all, is it? When when you look at the kind of players who get into the England under twenty one squad,
0: yeah. So he's. It's not like we're just bringing in a, a young goalkeeper that's never really done much and is only being called up because he's, we've got no other options. This is a goalkeeper that's got a good amount of experience behind him in the EFL and played internationally for his age groups and, and has been very good in the past. So, yeah, I, I don't feel like it's just a, a last resort kind of thing. I think he probably is actually challenging for for the um, for the shirt. And it's not just because David Button has been poor and is really low on confidence. I think even without that, he would be, you know, pushing and not far off being the the number one.
1: Look, I'm going to put, uh, I'm going to put it, uh, put it out there now. I absolutely think Josh Griffiths has got to start on Wednesday night. Do you agree with that?
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. He's, I don't um, think there's
1: a decision, is there? Really? You know, what what else can he do at this point?
0: Yeah, as we've said, Button's just extremely low on confidence, and that seems to be affecting his performances as well. So it's yeah, it's. I think it would be. A big risk to put them in goal. Um, obviously it's not the easiest. To-
1: I think it would cause a cause a bad atmosphere as well, Pete. Don't you? I mean, there there would there would almost there would be this this huge tension any time the ball went anywhere near Button. It would be it would be palpable from the fans, and they wouldn't be able to help it. I I saw some people criticizing, uh, saying, "Oh, grown grown men cheering every time another grown man catches a cross or or makes makes a kick after the Coventry game. It was pathetic. Why do you have to demean him like that?" I'm sorry, they weren't. They weren't trying doing it to demean him. That was just how they felt. That was just they were just so nervous every time the ball went near Button. I can say that because I was one of them, and I think it will be the same but worse against Blackburn if if Button starts.
0: Yeah, and the the cross that he claimed at the end of the Coventry game, I've really never been happy to see a cross claimed in my life just because of the the anxiousness. I cheered it, it like a
1: goal, mate. I cheered it as loudly as I've cheered a goal.
0: Yeah, exactly, and it's. Yeah, I mean, it's just how every Albion fan's feeling, I think. So yeah, there definitely would be a, if it wasn't a negative a- atmosphere, then you'd definitely be able to feel the, the tension and, and the fear almost any time the ball went near him or a cross was put in. So yeah, to be honest, I think it's best for, best for Albion as a team, best for the, for the fans and probably even best for David Button if he, if he sits the next one out
1: in terms of other changes i just want to i just want to focus on on a few of the uh, cuz as i say Corbram was quite stark about the fact that he felt he got things wrong against against birmingham i'd be interested to know whether you, whether you would shift anything else around because the, the reality of the situation is first of all our home form versus our away form at the moment is very different if you include if uh, if you include cup games in obviously we are Six clean sheets in a row at home, six wins. First time since 1977 we've achieved that. So everything we seem to be doing at home is working. But away from home, if you take the last seven, we've won two, lost four, drawn one, including cup games. So it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because there's, there's there's a fair argument to say the team that played against Coventry could go again but then equally you might look at it and go but we were so poor at blues and i did think there was players off the who came off the bench who made a case for themselves i thought i thought john swift came on and uh, and did well um he got he got crosses in he played accurate long balls he played through balls he he had our one and only shot on target in the entire game I thought Brandon came on and uh, and, uh, and and showed a lot of energy. And I think you and I are on the same page on this, that DK's not been as bad as some people uh, seem to want to make out. And, um, and he got zero service against Birmingham, largely because we couldn't get the ball beyond the two defensive midfielders because we lost it so much. There that DK was left isolated, but nonetheless, Brandon makes something out of nothing more than DK does uh, for me. And as I say, I thought I think Chalobers showed up well. Uh, you you make a good point about his fitness and whether he's quite there yet in terms of actually being able to uh, to uh, to start a game and, and be able to see through. Because realistically, if you start a, a player, you want them to be able to see through a minimum of an hour before you have to bring them off. And whether, whether Chalabas quite there yet is a, is a question. And the other one I want to highlight who came off the bench and look, people aren't going to like this. I'm sorry. Uh, but I, 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 although I get accused on Twitter of having an agenda for certain players and I have a love in for certain players, I really don't, I really don't look, uh, I'll hold my hand up. The one that maybe I'm slightly biased on is Jed Wallace because I love the way he plays and I love the way he talks. But everybody else, I haven't, I don't think I have any particularly strong feelings towards anybody in this, in, in this squad. One way, one way or another. I just look at the numbers and it's not the first time this season that I've stuck up for Adam Reach. I thought he impacted the game off the bench, Pete. I, I thought he, he he came on, he got a lot of the balls, he won aerials, he completed passes, he got crosses in. I thought he actually did more than Townsend in in, in the game. And I do like Connor Townsend, but, you know, I've got to, I've got to call it like I see it. And... I'm not suggesting Adam Reach necessarily start on Wednesday, but, I mean, the guy behind me at Birmingham was just abusing Adam Reach every time he got the ball. Oh, here he is again. What's he? Why are we giving him the ball to him? I thought, well, he's done more in 10 minutes than than, than most players have done in the last 80. So that's probably why. I don't, as I say, my take on Adam Reach is, is he often an eight? No. But does he come off the bench and give you a, a seven? most of the time. Yeah, I think he probably does. And uh, I think there's a few players who, who, if, if Corbrand looks at that performance against Birmingham and goes, I'm going to shake it up a little bit. I think there's a few who've made a case for themselves. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I thought Reach was pretty good when he came on. I always think he tends to be pretty steady, to be honest. Um, Just, yeah, he's not one of these players that has excellent performance, but then also has terrible performances. He's always kind of middle of the road and, Fairly reliable to, to do what you ask of him. Um, he's definitely not a, a superstar or a, a guaranteed starter in, in, in the squad at this level. Um, but yeah, I think he's, you can always kind of rely on him to be, to be pretty good off the bench and definitely give it his all. So they're the kind of players that you do need to have in your squad and they need to be, if they're happy enough to, to be on the bench and not be disrupted because of it, then, you know, they're, they're perfect to have around. Um, yeah, I thought Swift was very good when he came on. And was trying to get on the ball a lot and help us build up, and um, he kind of gave us something that we didn't really have in the first half. Uh, Brandon Thomas Sante also impressed me; was had tons of energy as he always does. Um, and officers,
1: I, I know we def- we we we're both quite defensive of the uh, of the criticism of DK, but nonetheless, would you uh, would you be tempted to start Brandon against Blackburn?
0: I'd be tempted, yes. Um, I think he does. He gets on the ball a lot more than DK and can impact the game a bit more in build-up and kind of trying to get into the, the final third. You know, he, he dribbles quite well with the ball, carries the ball quite well, and just generally gets a bit more involved. Whereas DK, you know, the vast majority of his work is done breaking the the final line, of the defensive line of the opposition or working space in the box to get shots off. And yeah, the, most of his work's done in the opposition opposition penalty box. So you've got to rely on the, the rest of the team to... To do the work to get you there. So it depends how Blackburn are going to set up, really. If they're going to be, um, if we're going to control, if Corbrand thinks we're going to control the game and find it re- relatively easy to build up and, and get into the final third and create chances from there, then DK is probably a better option. Um, but if you're going to need a bit more from your striker in terms of helping build up and helping you move up the pitch and create those chances, then, then maybe you start branding Thomas Asante. Um, I mean, the one thing you know you're going to get with Thomas Asante is Ton, tons of energy and, and effort and yeah he'll he's bit...
1: raise the crowd as well which maybe is important after how disappointing Friday night was
0: yeah exactly so maybe maybe you do give him a chance and D- DK's had a couple of games where he's he started and, and hasn't scored so maybe give the give your other option a chance and and give him a little run of games and see if he can really claim the spot in the starting at 11 um, like his, I mean you've said it and I definitely agree DK's definitely not been Anywhere near as bad as some people seem to be making out and it's actual return for goals in terms of minutes that he's played rather than just appearances. Cause a lot of the time you only get 60 minutes is decent. It's almost one in two, I think. So as a strike, if you do that for a season, it's, you're generally in a pretty good, pretty good stead. Um, so yeah, I think he's probably getting a little bit of unfair criticism, but yeah, if he, if he does start putting a few more away, then I'll obviously be happy. And I think that criticism will quickly disappear.
1: We do like to occasionally highlight an opposition player, and I, I just wanted to highlight this, this one, Pete, because partly because it's a player that we were quite heavily linked with uh, at one point, And I thought Hannibal was unbelievable uh, at, 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 on Friday night. I thought he was it, not just, not just the goal. And I, uh, and I know Button's. Flapped at the at the corner, but he's abs- he's whipped that corner as well, hasn't he? I love the delivery on it, and you can see why if he's putting those balls in. Why why Birmingham is such a threat from set pieces? Obviously, like I say, it 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 it, it helps. Um, it, it helps when when the goalkeepers doing more flapping than you see at a bird sanctuary. But nonetheless. The, uh, I, I thought he's delivery, but it wasn't just that. It was everything about his game, his aggression in the middle of the park, the energy, the amount of ground he covers. Uh, he's only on loan from Man United. I have to say, if if we feel we need a player in that position, he's one I'd love to see us revisit at some point. Because I mean, I don't think I don't think we'll we'll be able to buy him permanently. Um, but I also don't think he's ready to go into the Manchester United side. So I think probably in the summer, they'll, they'll they'll be eyeing up another loan. He's definitely one I'd like to see us in in the mix for if they are, because I think he's tremendous. And yeah, he's got th- quite a barnet on him as well. Yeah,
0: he has and says midfield partner in Chung that, we, again, we were linked to, um, who I think had a game that probably not as good as um, Hannibal, but Again, I'd, I'd love game. to see
1: your data on most hair volume um of a midfield partnership. It because I can't imagine there's one possibly anywhere in the world that has has as greater numbers than those two.
0: No, I think you'd struggle. Um yeah, you know, David David Luiz would have given him a good run for his money, but probably still loses out. But yeah, I mean I think well, Chung, Hannibal and Bakuna as well, I thought they were all very good. Um and they must have covered a huge amount of ground just going from side to side when they were defending as well as going forward. He, I'm surprised he had that much energy to be able to burst forward with the amount of ground he was covering defensively as well. And then when he did have the ball, there was, you know, it was quality on the ball as well. So it would have been nice if we'd, uh, if we could have got him in. I mean, obviously it wasn't meant to be. And, oh, well, we always go back to it. There the is quality in these youth academies of teams in the Premier League and we haven't really made the most of it this season with loans. Um, obviously, the one fell through on deadline day from Chelsea, the winger. Yeah, Hutchinson is, escapes me, but
1: H- Hutchinson. But and and yeah. obviously we've got we, we've we've got all Brighton in. But as you, as you, he's not a younger player. As as you say, I think I think you know almost really since Harvey Barnes, it's something we've criminally underused, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and especially in the Championship, um, because yeah, obviously it's a slightly lower level than the well. Maybe more than slightly, but a lower level than the Premier League. Of you know, it tends to be that those players aren't getting chances in in the Premier League, so you drop down to the Championship, and it's
1: well, the it's level probably... you have to be at to get into Manchester United's team is 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 unbelievable. It's not it's not comparable to the level you have to be at to get into a, a Championship team, is it?
0: No, exactly. So if you can get to know these academies and these set- setups and and know where the talent is, then there's a lot to be to be used because obviously it benefits benefits everyone benefits the parent club because their young players get an experience benefits our wim because we can get a potentially quality player in and it benefits the player because it gives them time to and a chance to develop as well as showcase their ability so if you can get it right then it's, it's really useful especially for a championship club to to get one or two young players in on loan.
1: Absolutely. I mean, obviously this week is, um, is a double game week, uh, for, for Albion. We've got, um, we, we've got Blackburn on the Wednesday night and then Watford on, uh, on the Monday night, um, which, which means our next pod will be, will be coming after the, the, the Watford game. It's always just where there's midweek games. It's too tight to turn around to do, um, to do two in, uh, two in the week. But, um, Pete, obviously the next one is Blackburn, just to look ahead to that, the the, the stats on, on that. Blackburn have drawn three games all season in the EFL, the least in the Championship. We haven't drawn a single game in the EFL under Corbran. It's nailed on as a draw, isn't it?
0: Sounds like it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a fair few of those, well, the majority of those Blackburn draws have come in the last couple of games, haven't they? So. Yeah, I mean...
1: Yeah, yeah, they they, they actually hadn't, uh, I think it was about half a dozen games ago, they hadn't drawn a single one.
0: So yeah, could well end up being a draw, but as we say, the the games are really important, playing teams that are around us in the league and, and pushing for the playoff spots, so we need to, to make sure we get the points on the board from them and stop them from getting the points. And yeah, it's going to be, the next couple of weeks, potentially going to be season defining in terms of whether we can make the playoffs or not.
1: Absolutely. Well, look, uh, that's all from us today. We will be back, um, as I say, after the Watford game, which is, uh, Monday, the 20th of, uh, of February. So we'll be, uh, we'll be recording, uh, after that game. Um, but, uh, you know, hopefully Albion will be in a much better, better space when we record that pod, having played two games, having played two promotion challenges as well. So. Fingers crossed that uh, that that we're we're having a much happier pod the next time because certainly it's much less enjoyable talking about games where you've been pretty dismal and underperformed. Um, but in terms of not underperforming, remember Manscaped uh, uh, do provide you with top quality men's grooming products, and if you want to get yourself some of those, you can get twenty percent off and free worldwide shipping with our code UP the baggies so all caps one word up the baggies just put that in at manscaped.com and get 20% off and free worldwide shipping please do go and check them out but until next time thanks for listening and up the baggies